when you're born again, the change that takes place in your life takes place in your spirit, with your spirit man. That's where the initial change happens instantaneously. There's no working for it. Uh, the Bible says you can't work for your salvation, but you can work out your salvation, which means that what's on the inside needs to come out. And so we've seen that um, the mind controls all these areas of our lives. Um, it's in your mind that you determine if you're going to be patient with someone. It's in your mind uh, how you determine um, or is where you determine how you're going to respond to your spouse. Um, it's in your mind if you're, where you determine if you're going to walk in love with somebody. Um, so we have to understand the mind and how the mind uh, processes things, mentally speaking, thought processes, uh, so we can have the right lifestyle. The whole reason we're talking about mind renewal is not just so I can have you think good thoughts and walk around, I'm thinking happy thoughts, I'm thinking good things, bad thoughts don't have any part of me. That's not why we're doing this. The whole point is for you to be able to live out what's on the inside. Remember, we've identified and and... Look, review is important. We have to review. Paul said several times that I need to bring things to your remembrance. I need to uh, tell you about what I shared with you before. And um, so we will review. There's people that haven't been here maybe last week or the week before. And um, so it's important that we share these things. But um, remember, we identified that the number one conflict on the face of the planet isn't between countries and isn't between America. It isn't between uh, religions. It's not between people. It's not between races. The number one conflict on the face of the planet is in your mind. And it takes place uh, in your mind. It's between your spirit and your flesh. Your spirit wants to do what God wants to do. Your spirit is all about God. Your spirit's all about getting heaven into the earth. Your spirit's all about the kingdom. But when you're born again, you still have a flesh that has fleshly desires or lusts. When I say lust, I'm not just talking, you know, sexual, sensual things. I'm talking uh, want-tos. That's all that a lust is, is I want to do this. And uh, we saw that that's what got Satan himself kicked out of heaven, was an I want to, instead of simply following what God wanted to do. So the process that we're in, in mind renewal, is to get away from I want to, or what the world is pressing on you, and is to allow us to walk out what our spirit really wants to do. Your spirit wants to love people. Your spirit wants to be patient. Your spirit wants to uh, share God's word with people. This is what your spirit wants to do. Your spirit wants to bring heaven into the earth. That's what your spirit man's all about. But why aren't we seeing this? Why aren't we seeing believers carrying this out? And I believe, um, and the word shows us, that it's because of an unrenewed mind. So we have to take this mind... That can go either way. We've seen that. It can go to the spirit or it can go to the flesh. And what determines that is what you feed it. So by renewing our mind, we're feeding on something. What are we feeding on? The word of God. That is our daily bread. What are we renewing our minds to? The word. Uh, so we identified the necessity and the need for a renewed mind. We identified that we are renewing our minds to the word of God. That's it. I'm not renewing my mind to what someone says. I'm not renewing my mind uh, to what somebody thinks about God or what someone thinks about the Bible. I'm going to the Bible and finding out for myself. That's the only way you can renew your mind to the Word. Uh, you will find yourself 
Uh, there's people that are in my life right now that, you know, I believe them at their word. And uh, I honor them. And I appreciate the um, what they put into my life, the influence that they put into my life. But I don't take their word over the word. Period. Um, and we can't ever get that. We can't ever get there. You can't ever do that. Um, when you start following after a man, I don't care how spiritual they seem, um, even Jesus himself always pointed to the Father. He said, I don't say these things on my own initiative. I'm not here because I want to be here. I'm not doing my thing. I'm doing what the Father has called me to do. I'm speaking what he tells me to say. I'm doing what he tells me to do. I'm going where he tells me to go. He was directly led by the Father, and he always pointed to the Father. Can you imagine how hard it would have been when Jesus left the earth if he was always pointing to himself? His disciples would have, his disciples probably would not have gone to Jerusalem and done what they did in Acts chapter 2 had Jesus always been pointing to himself. But since Jesus was always pointing to the Father, when it came that time, he said, so I'm going to my Father. The one that I told you was sending me here, the one that I told you I've been doing all my works by and saying everything by and going where he tells me to go, I'm going to him. But I'm leaving you another. That word another means of the same kind. I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live in you, he's going to be upon you, and he's going to work through you. So his disciples had no problem with that because Jesus was always pointing back. He became transparent. Jesus became transparent in his ministry and was always pointing back to the Father. So that's what we need to do. Um, when we go to the Word, that's our source. And anybody else and anything else is a resource. And if they don't pull from the Word, you immediately have to negate. I don't care how big of a ministry they have. I don't care how many followers they have. I don't care... Uh, Again, how spiritual they seem or how close of a relationship you may have with them. Um, if it's not the word, if you can't back it up with the word, then we've got to go with the word. Amen. Um, so we've, we've identified that we need to renew our minds to the word. A couple weeks ago, we saw that there are three areas, three areas that we need to renew our minds back to specifically. And I believe that if every believer got a hold of these three specific areas and began to, to live them out, walk them out, and believe them and study them out, um, we would see the kingdom of God come to pass in this earth the way it should and be effective. Um, but for each of us individually, we can begin to take this position. And last week we saw the first one, we laid out the first area, and that is the kingdom mindset of authority or the kingdom mindset of of rulership. And we've been identifying, you've heard me say probably almost every single time that I have this microphone, that the Bible is not about a religion. The Bible is not about Christianity. The Bible is not about believe this, do this, act like this, talk like this, say this. Um, the Bible is about a kingdom. And it's about a king. And it is about his children who are royal offspring. And so we identified last week that Adam. When he was created, God gave him dominion and authority. And Adam and Eve, they were not running around the garden waiting for God to take them back to heaven. Adam and Eve were not uh, in the garden saying, you know, one day God, God's going to come back in all his glory. He's going to take us back to the homeland and, and we're going to be able to live a glorious life. They were given a glorious life in the garden. And they were given everything to rule over. 
They were to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Um, They were to rule over the entire earth. God owns the earth, but he put Adam and Eve in control or in charge and gave them the authority and the dominion. We saw that when they disobeyed the king and when they sinned, because that's all that sin is, is just disobedience to what the king says. Uh, I don't care if you lied or if you killed somebody. You disobey what the king said, and it's sin. Um, And so, you know, God's word makes it very black and white. And when Adam and Eve did that, they didn't lose a religion. They didn't lose Christianity. We had to go get Christianity back. They lost the kingdom of God in this earth. God being king in heaven rules in heaven. He placed man in charge of the earth. He was not ever intending to come down and rule the earth like he does in heaven. He wanted to do that through man. So now there is a different God of this world. Uh, Jesus calls him the prince of the air, calls him a ruler over darkness. And there is a ruler over this earth. But Jesus came back as a king. Remember Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says that upon his shoulders will be the government. And it's an everlasting government. It's a kingdom that's advancing. And this is what Jesus came back as. He didn't come back as a religious person. He didn't come back to point everybody back to Christianity and say, here's what you need to believe and this is how you need to live. He came back to show who you are and what you live in and what God originally intended for mankind for the earth from the beginning of time. And that's all he talked about. Everywhere he went, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is like this and the kingdom of God is like this. He's always... Everywhere he's going is preaching the kingdom. He's trying to get people to identify with a government system, with God's way of doing things. Um, And this is why they killed him, because they thought his advancements were political. They thought he was trying to overthrow uh, kings, and they thought he was trying to overthrow Caesar. They thought he was trying um, to take over in a natural way. I've got a green light. We're all right. I'll hang on to it. Um, they thought he was trying to take over a natural land, a natural territory. And, and so Jesus came preaching and advancing the kingdom of God. When he died on the cross, he died so that we would be born into that kingdom. So we could once again become citizens. Why did Jesus die on the cross? So sin could be removed from our lives because you cannot be in the kingdom of God with sin in your life. You cannot be a sinner. You cannot have sin dwelling in your life. You cannot um, be practicing sin and living a sinful life in the kingdom. So this is what Jesus came back to do. He came back to restore what man lost, the kingdom. He came back to redeem or buy back mankind so we could once again be in that position of authority in the earth and rule this earth the way it's supposed to be. God, does, God is not happy with the enemy ruling over his stuff. Okay? It'd be like me uh, giving my vehicle to Brother Jimmy here. And Jimmy does something wrong with it and gets it taken away and someone else takes over my vehicle. Well, now my vehicle's going places I don't want it to go and it's carrying stuff that I don't want it to carry. And 
uh, it's, it's running red lights, and it's blowing through stop signs, and it's speeding, and I didn't want any of this to happen. I wanted Jimmy to do it. So now I've got to do something to get Jimmy back behind the wheel. And so this is what God is doing. He has put into plan, uh, put into the earth a way to get man back behind the wheel of controlling and running the earth the way that he wants it run. Okay? Remember we saw in um, Genesis chapter 3 that as soon, I mean immediately, as Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He spoke to Adam, or he, he, he started with uh, the serpent. No, he, he started with he started with Adam. Then he went to Eve. Then he went to the serpent. And remember what he said to the serpent. He immediately put into play a plan to get man back. Immediately, he didn't say, "Well, they blew it. Let's get them back to heaven." Uh, this plan didn't work out the way I thought. You know, man blew it and, and, and they sinned. And, you know, I just can't trust them. So let's just everyone get back to heaven. Forget this whole earth thing. Satan, you can have it. Not in the Bible. He won't find it. God put into play an effort to get man back into his position of authority, back in as a citizen of God's kingdom to rule and run this thing the way that he always meant to, okay? So this was the first area we looked at last week, and I want to take a look at our second area. And this right here, I'll tell you right now, um, I believe this area will change the most in your daily life um, than the other two areas. I believe that you'll start to see uh, things that we're going to point out today that in your daily life, in your everyday routine, you're going to find yourself changing things. Uh, you're going to find yourself thinking about things differently, um, approaching things differently, reacting to things differently. Um, you know, our authority is huge. Um, and your authority, you know, it, it, it's deep. It's deep. I, I mean, I only gave you surface, and I, I can only give you surface at this point. Uh, I would need to spend another, you know, four to six weeks just talking about authority um, and really laying that out and what we have authority over and, and how do we exercise dominion in the earth. Because uh, uh, what God did not give us rule over was mankind. He said birds of the air, uh, fish of the sea, and over all the creeping things on the earth. But he did not give man control over man. That was God's job. Uh, it was man's idea to bring a king and a ruler into play. God was to be king. Remember that in Samuel. And that people went to Samuel and said, we want a king, we want a king. God said, I'm your king. I am your king. What do you need? And they, no, we want man. We want someone we can see. We want someone we can talk to. And so God told Samuel, he said, don't worry about it. They have rejected me as their king. Give them their king. Okay? But man was never supposed to rule over man. So exercising your, your dominion in the earth is, uh, you know, we saw a little bit with Jesus. Uh, Jesus exercised dominion over demons. He cast them out. Jesus exercised dominion um, over the earth itself. He, he uh, cursed a fig tree. He walked on water. He told a storm to stop. He multiplied bread. That's 
that's that's exercising dominion over earth itself. Um, he exercised dominion over sickness and disease. He healed uh, everyone that was brought to him. Okay, he exercised dominion over death. He brought people back to life. So there really was nothing in Jesus's ministry stopping him. His authority was unlimited. But this next area. Uh, that we're going to look at tonight, I believe, will change the most in your daily routine, in your daily habits. And it is the, the kingdom mindset of responsibility, your responsibility in the earth. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for this time, and I pray that I will be a good steward of this time. I know you know people came from work, and people can be tired and feeling it, but Father, I thank you that you are going to plant a seed in people's hearts this evening that will bear a harvest, that will bear fruit, that they will apply it, they will uh, be doers of it, and they will uh, continue to keep it in front of them, Father. This won't be the last time they hear it, that they will continue to keep these words in front of them. I thank you that I will use my time wisely. Holy Spirit, have your way with your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's look at this. Again, we've said that to understand our original mindset, we need to look in the garden because we've got to go before the fall. We've got to go before things changed. And so let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, let's start with verse 8. Start with verse 8. And it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is uh, Pishon. It is the one which we can really go past the names. It's irrelevant at this point. <clears throat> but we see that there is a, uh, a river here that breaks open into four more rivers. Verse 15. 15. Then the Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, <clears throat> to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there still was not found a helper comparable to him. Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Now, there's some things that we want to point out here, because what we're going to talk about this evening is responsibility. How many of you know that with, uh, with a great call comes a great responsibility? And Adam and Eve were not just placed in the garden to lay around and just enjoy the surroundings and stare at the sky and pick fruit. This was not their job. They were given a call, and with that came responsibilities. First, we saw here in verse 15, said, Then the Lord God took the man, took Adam, put him in the garden to tend it and keep it. First of all, notice that Adam had no choice where he was being put. He was going where God called him to be. God put him in the garden. Uh, he may not have been one for gardens, but it didn't really matter. He may have been a beach guy or a mountain guy or a country guy or a city guy, and God put him in the garden. So first off, we see that uh, Adam does not have a choice in the, in the saying and in in where he's put. The next thing that we see is that he is actually given responsibilities. He's actually given tasks and assignments. It says to tend and to keep it. Basically to take care of the garden and make sure that it's fruitful. This is Adam's job. This is his assignment. You know, we think of the Garden of Eden as this paradise where, you know, it didn't have to do anything. Man, if we could just get back to that, you know, Adam and Eve blew it. They blew our chance at paradise to lay around and do nothing. They weren't laying around and doing it, nothing. Um, we also see that he was given um, the assignment of naming all the animals. So again, an assignment. He's told to do something. And whatever he called them, that's what they were. But I want you to notice a few things here because there is a lifestyle that Adam and Eve had that is now lost. Um, notice that Adam and Eve Whose things were they taking care of? Were they taking care of themselves? Were they out trying to find food for themselves? Were they out trying to figure out how they're going to pay the rent? Were they out trying to figure out where they're going to live? What they're going to drink? No. Their responsibility, their assignment, their task in the earth was to look after God's things. He's already given them all authority. He's already given them all dominion. You don't give someone authority and dominion for no reason. They had this authority and this dominion for a reason in the earth. And they are busy taking care of God's stuff. And that's it. But notice the back end of it. They are taken care of. First we saw, um, let's just look at it. Verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that it, here it is, pleasant to the sight and good for food. And in fact, he goes on to later tell them, you can eat it of every tree except the one. So are they having to worry about food? No. Who's supplying the food for them? God. Okay. Verse 10. A river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted, became four river heads. Uh, you think they're worried about anything to drink? 
with four rivers flowing in the middle of this thing? I don't think so. They're not looking for food. They're not looking for drink. They're not looking for a place to live because they are where God put them in the garden. And then let's go down to verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So are they looking for what they're going to wear? Are they trying to figure out, man, what are we going to wear? I, I don't know what I'm going to wear today. I don't have money to buy the new pair of jeans. I've been wearing these same old raggedy things. No, not at all. So let's go over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. They're not worried about what they're going to eat. They're not worried about what they're going to drink. They're not worried about where they're going to live. And they're not worried about what they're going to wear. Worry, worry, worry. Verse 25. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than flute? food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, which today is, tomorrow is thrown out in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need All of these things. He's not saying, don't worry about it, you don't need it. He's saying, don't worry about it, I got it. So, what does he say to do? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, where you'll live. All these things that the Gentiles are seeking after, if you seek my kingdom, and if you seek after my righteousness, or being in the right standing with the authority in the kingdom, being in obedience to the laws, and following after what the word says, all these things will be added to you. Added. You know what that word added means? You didn't do anything to get it. You didn't work for it. You didn't go out looking for it. Added. Meaning, here's you, and I'm taking this and putting it to you, and now you are this plus this. Added. Okay? But what are most people working their jobs to do right now? We're trying to put food on the table. We're trying to 
put clothes on our back. We're trying to pay for the homes that we live in. This is what we're doing. This is what we're seeking after. And he says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, this sounds a lot like what Adam and Eve were living in the garden. Because whose things were Adam and Eve seeking after? God's. They were seeking after his kingdom. Because remember, God put a kingdom on this earth. He didn't just create the earth and then cause everybody to believe something. He put everyone in the earth, or he put Adam and Eve to begin with in the earth and then gave them a position in the government system of authority and dominion. Why? So they could properly look after God's things. And because of that, they were given food, they were given drink, they were given. They didn't have to worry about what to wear. They were given a place to live. They were taken care of. All these things were added. Exactly what Jesus just stated in Matthew chapter 6 was given to them in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2. But Genesis chapter 3 comes. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Again, we have to go back to the beginning. We've got to find out what was it like before. But now we've seen what it looked like before. They weren't worried about their own stuff. They were looking after God's things. So Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit... And ate. Gave to her husband with her. And he ate. Now look what happens immediately after they sinned. I mean the very next verse. The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves covering. This is the first time in the garden. That we see Adam and Eve trying to do something to take care of themselves. Boom. I mean, they didn't waste any time. They went ahead and said, okay, you sin, now you're on your own. Immediately after sinning, their mindset, remember we're talking about our minds, it changed from looking after God's things to immediately starting to looking after man's things. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to live? All these things that the Gentiles seek, why are they seeking them? Because they are in sin. They are separated from the mind of God, the mind of Christ, the mind to seek first the kingdom. And immediately their minds changed. You could say, you could put it this way, that Adam lost his mind. He lost his mind. He lost his ability to look after God's things and make God's things a priority. 
This is what happened. You see, it's so simple. It's so simple. God, he's not a slave driver just saying, I need you to do this and this and this and this and this and this. Oh, and then at the same time, you know, you're going to have to spend time figuring out how to. He has you covered. He has us covered. But he's looking for a priority. He's looking for us to make him a priority. You know that it says seek first the kingdom of God. You know what's so funny about that? I mean, why doesn't he just say seek the kingdom? Because he's trying to get in our minds it's a priority thing. But if you seek first the kingdom, you'll find that's all the seeking you will ever have to do. It doesn't say seek first the kingdom, then seek what you want to eat, then seek what you want to drink, then seek where you're going to live. It said seek first, and all these things are added to you. Let's look at the mind of Christ. Let's look at the mind of Christ. Well, first, let's let's stay here. I need to stay on point. I need to stay on point. I want to get there, and we're going to get there. But in that, uh, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Man, it's so good. Matthew chapter 6. Like I said, this is the number one area for me, and I believe for all of us, every believer, that if, if we get a hold of this, your daily lifestyle will change. Your daily lifestyle will change. Your priorities will change. What you do with your money will change. What you do with your time will change. Where you go and the people you hang out with and the relationships you have and and your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, and the relationships that you shouldn't have, they will change because of your responsibility. And you will find that there are things in our lives that are actually stealing things from us rather than allowing us to pursue There are relationships in our lives that are stealing our time, that are stealing our joy, that are stealing our patience. Because all they do is bring anxiety, and all they do is bring worry, and all they do is talk about how bad this is, and how bad this is, and how I can't get things under control in my house, and my kids are doing this, and my husband's doing this. And you'll find that these things, you just wasted time talking to this person. Now you feel terrible and you got to go get in the Word for another hour or two just because you were talking to this person. I'm telling the truth right now. I'm telling the truth. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, in the King James Version, this, uh, in the New King James, do not worry shows up five times. You think he's trying to get a point across. Do not worry. In the King James Version, do you know how they phrase that? Take no thought. We're talking about the mind. Take no thought. You know why it's phrased that way? Because that word, worry, actually means to be distracted or preoccupied. Remember we said on Sunday that if your mind is full of one thing, It can't be full of the other. We talked about a flow of information. And how do you get rid of uh, one flow of information? You put in another flow of information. And this word, worry, is actually translated distraction or to be preoccupied. It means to divide into parts. 
to divide into parts. Our minds have been distracted from God's priority. Our minds have been preoccupied with ourselves, our things. And so after he says, do not worry, five times in this passage, 25 through 34, he comes back at the very end and says, seek first the kingdom. He's saying, get your mind, your thought life, your mental capacity seeking my things again. Let's get back to the Garden of Eden. Let's get back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Let's take care of God's things. And who's taking care of us? God. It's not a double thing. It's not take care of God's things and figure out a way to take care of yours. It comes with taking care of his stuff. This is exciting. This is good stuff. Do not worry. Do not worry. Translated, take no thought. Worry actually, worry actually uh, causes you to take your mind off of one thing and put it on another. So, you go to the doctor and you get that report. Worry sets in. What just took place? Your mind just came off of what you know about sickness and disease, what you know God says about it. But if you sit in a position of worry, then it preoccupies your mind. You're now distracted from what God's word says. And behind worry comes anxiety. Behind worry comes fear. And fear is the opposite of faith. So this is the track record of worry. This is what happens. James chapter 1, verse 8. James chapter 1 and verse 8. Hebrews, James 1. <clears throat> Divided into parts. The word worry means to divide into parts. So look what James says here in, in verse 8. Well, let's start with verse 6. But let him ask in faith, we just talked about it, with no doubting. Remember we talked about on, that on Sunday. You've got to have faith combined with no doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now, we've all been there. We've all been like, when you're being tossed by waves, guess what you don't have? Control. And what did God what position did God, I just saw this, what position did God put Adam in in the garden? A position of control. Verse 7, for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. <laughs> You've been there. We're being tossed. We're being taught. God, I need this. God, I... He says, do not expect to receive anything. Do not expect that anything will come your way when you're not in faith and you're in a position of doubt. Verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A double-minded. His mind is divided into parts. And he's doubting my word. Fear has set in, and he will not receive anything from the Lord. 
That's worry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it's not a a thing of, of, I need someone to do my stuff because I don't want to come down and do it. Remember, we've talked about delegation. And when God delegated his authority, when he says, seek first the kingdom, why? Because he's put you in charge of this earth. We are to control and run. Man, there are things that should come out of the church that in this earth, things are not running. How many of you would agree things are not running in the earth? Government's corrupt. Music's corrupt. Entertainment's corrupt. The schools are corrupt. Why? Because they're not coming out of the church. And we've been talking about the church. He's going to build his church. Why? Because government officials need to come out of the church. Uh, school uh, district people need to come out of the church. Entertainment people need to come out of the church. Music people, sports athletes, all this stuff should be coming out of the church. Amen. We should be influencing this stuff. But you know what's happening in a lot of churches across America? We're going to put it out there. They're looking to the world and saying, we need to do that. Hollywood's doing it. We need to do it. The government's doing it. We need to do it. And they got governments they're trying to build up to look like other governments in the world. They've got uh, entertainments and lights and music happening that's, that's no more of God and the man on the moon. And we're doing it because we think that's what we have to do to get people in the church. And you know what happens? We get people in the church. But we don't got anybody going out of the church. We're all stuck in our little wall. In our little hole, Amen. That's right. That's right. having a good old time, and when we get out of the world, we got no answers. Amen. People are dying and going to hell. People are dying of cancer. People are coming down with issues. People are losing their jobs. Uh, relationships are breaking up. Kids are running away, and we don't have an answer. Is that what God wanted us to do in this earth? And we just stand around and say, I go to church, I have a good old time on Sunday and Wednesday, maybe Wednesday. And one day I'm going to go to heaven and live my glorious life. You know, there's a verse in Matthew. Uh, I can't remember the exact passage, but it's, it's a scary verse. Because Jesus says, there will be those that come to me saying, Lord, Lord. And you know what he's going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. That is not what I want to hear. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We need, we've got an identity crisis going on in the church. And we need an identity check in the church. Responsibility. What are we supposed to be running around doing? Our mind is not to be double-minded. Our mind is not to be divided into parts, worrying about this and worrying about that and trying to take care of this. God says, take care of my stuff. Make my kingdom a priority, the priority. And I will take care of your job. I will take care of your house. I will take care of your kids. I will take care of your food. 
I will take care of your clothes. He's not saying, I don't care about that stuff. You don't need to go after that stuff. He's saying, I've got it covered. Cover my kingdom and I will cover you. That's the great thing about a king is when you're out doing his work, you know. Think about it. A servant in a palace. A servant. And we think, oh, that's the low guy. He's at the bottom of the... You think he's worried about what he's eating? You think he's worried about where he's sleeping? You think about where, You think he's worried about what he's going to make or trying to put food on his table? You think he's worried about the clothes? You want Those servants in the, in the king's palace look better than anyone. Why? Because the king, the king, the king. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? The king is reflected through you. How good the king is doing, how good the kingdom is doing, is reflected through you. If the king's people are all broke down, beat down, can't get a job, can't eat anything, can't keep a relationship together... Guess who that reflected on? The king. Oh, is that your God? Is that your God that's got you all sick and broke down? Is that your God that's got you worried about what you're going to eat? Is that your God that's got you going to work thinking, is this my last day? Is that your God wondering, man, you know, my kids have lost it. I don't know if they're ever going to come home. Is that your God? No, it's not your God. The king is reflected through you. And I think that the church has been misrepresenting our king. Is anybody else angry about that? Is anybody else fired up about that? This is your king. He wants to show off. He wants to show off, but guess what? He's only showing off through you. Now look, this is this is where your this is where your day changes. This is where your daily routine, everything you do, everything that we wake up in the morning thinking about and and work you work to think about and come home and think about and go to sleep thinking about and waking up the next day and doing it all over again. This is where it changes. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter 2. You know, we, we preach Jesus as this guy that came to the earth and healed a bunch of people and went around didn't, doing good and loved everybody and just accepted people and was just a great guy to be around. And, you know, if we could just be around that guy. But look what Jesus was busy doing. Let's start with verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Here it is, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Or conceit. 
But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, in verse 2, he was talking about being like-minded. He said, be of one accord and of one mind. Now, verse 5, he says, let this mind, what mind? This mind. This mind is nothing done in selfish ambition or conceit. This mind is lowliness of mind, esteeming others better than yourself. This mind is don't only look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind, let that mind that I just explained to you, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We'll explain that in just a minute. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is the mind of Christ. How many of you have ever confessed that over yourself? I have the mind of Christ. And you probably said it before you were taking a test, right? (laughs) My mom always told me that growing up. And it's a good thing to say. Before I went in and took a test, I'd say, I have the mind of Christ. Why? That that sounds like a pretty good mind to have. Okay? You relax. You know? Have this mind of Christ. I have this mind of Christ. I'm going into this interview. You know, I've used it. And it's good. But we're going to break it down. Because we're going to find out what is the mind of of Christ. Well, in verse 3 and 4, he explained it. He said, nothing done in selfish ambition. Jesus didn't do anything with selfish ambition. He wasn't trying to get ahead in life. He wasn't trying to show himself off to people. In fact, if he wanted to do that, he could have just come looking like the king that he was. Okay? Esteeming others better than himself. Did Jesus do that? Yeah. Not only looking out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Did Jesus do that? Sure. But now let's go a little further. Verse 6. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You know what that word equal means? This is going to blow. This will blow, uh, blow that former mind right out of your head. That word equal means to have the same prerogatives and priorities as God. To be equal with God. Jesus was equal with God because he made God's interests his interest. He made God's prerogatives 
his prerogatives. He made God's priorities his priorities. And did he do this? Yes, I don't have all the verses, but throughout John, John chapter 5, John uh, chapter 8, throughout the book of John, he's saying, I'm not here on my own initiative. I'm not here on my own will. I don't say the things that I want to say. I don't go the places I want to go. But he did as who told him? The Father. Always pointing back to the Father. Always. In fact, there was a point where Jesus was ready. And his will was right in front of him. Because he's 100% man. 100% God, 100% man. And his will was standing right there in the garden saying, Come on, let this, let this cup pass. And he told God. But then what did he say? Not my will, but your will. So, here we are in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and he has a verse written about him that says, Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. To what? Have his initiatives. To have his priorities. To have his prerogatives. Taking form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance as a man, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. Is there a death that has to take place with us? Yes. We're talking about a renewed mind so we can put to death a former thinking. To put to death a former way of living. A fleshly, lustful way of living. Worldly way of living. We have to become obedient even to the point of laying down our flesh and our lustful desires. How does that happen? Putting God's priorities first. Putting God's initiatives first. And Jesus did that by putting others in front of him. Treating others better than himself. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, I said in the beginning, God created man to control things, to run things. God owns the earth. Psalms 24 says that he, is, that he created in, uh, all things and the, the earth belongs to the Lord. But he put man in charge. He put man in control. When you are given something, you are given that to be a steward over. There's a, here's what that word steward means. How many has heard the word steward before? Stewardship. Steward means a person who manages another's property. Administers anything as the agent of another. To have charge of another's. The first thing we have to understand is everything that we have, everything that we own. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, Sunday morning, you do not want to miss it. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't care what you have to cancel. 
I don't care what you maybe have to shut down Saturday night to get here Sunday morning to make sure you get up, but you have to be here. You need to be here. Um, I sat down uh, yesterday, Tuesday afternoon over here, trying to study one little topic out, one little thing, and it blew up on me. And I said, well, this is going to be a really long message. And I kept going, and I said, this is going to be a couple weeks. And I said, it kept going. And I've probably, right now I've probably got about four weeks of stuff, and I don't know that it's going to stop there. But we're going to start it on Sunday morning. And we're going to talk about what you own and what you don't own. And we're going to talk about making Jesus your Lord and what that means. I'm telling you, it's, it's going to blow the hair off your head. I'll tell you that right now. It, it will... Yeah, if you don't have any, it's going to, maybe it'll make it sprout. I don't know. It might be powerful enough to yank some hair up for people who ain't got it in places you ain't got it. And if you got it, hang on. Bring your seatbelts. Bring your seatbelts on Sunday. I'm telling you right now. We're going to redefine things. You know, the kingdom has caused me to redefine a lot of stuff. To find out its original meaning. You know, I've had to redefine love. Because the love that the American gospel preaches is not love. Love says, what can I do for you? Lust says, what can you do for me? And see, we got love on, you love me? Show me what you got. Show me what you can do for me. I'm not just talking in marriage. I'm, I'm, I'm... and, you know, lovey, lovey. I'm talking, you know, you love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So there are things that we've had that, we, that has caused us to redefine some stuff. But this word, steward, the stewardship means that something was given to you that still belongs to someone else. Everything you have is a resource. Is a resource for the kingdom of God. Everything in your possession. And we're going to hit on this Sunday. We're going to really look at this. But I got to get into it a little bit here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. You know, Jesus is our example. We know that. Jesus in the earth was laying an example for us. So when the disciples went on after Jesus left, I mean, you got to think about it. Jesus was only running his ministry and his operation for three years. That's it. I mean, this church has been here three years. Um, That's not a long time. Jesus was not doing stuff that was isolated to him. Jesus was not. Jesus was an example. So when he's saying, when he's walking around saying, I don't do anything on my own initiative, he's saying, you don't need to do anything on your own initiative. When Jesus is walking around saying, I only say what the Father tells me, he's saying, you need to only say what the Father tells you. Jesus is our example. Okay, so Jesus, by laying down his life, what did he say? He said, 
if you are my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. You know, Jesus has the same cross that we have. We have the same cross. We bear the same cross. You know what that cross is? Putting yourself down. Putting your will down. Because ultimately what Jesus did by going to the cross was saying, I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what the Father has asked me to do and has put me in this earth to do. Now his purpose, specifically in dying on the cross, he's the only one that could do that. But when it all boiled down, I mean, we just saw in Philippians, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. It said that he didn't consider it robbery to become equal with God. And that he came as a bondservant. Because he is God. I mean, he's in heaven. And God had an assignment. And to do God's assignment, he had to lay down his will. This is what every single person in this room right here has to do daily. And Jesus did it. We all have the same cross that Jesus had. Jesus had to put down his will, put down his desires, put down where he wanted to go, put down what... Man, you're telling me that he'd pray all night long and then wake up and then lay hands on the sick all the next day. You think he got tired? He got tired. I mean, when Jesus went into Samaria and sat down at a well and asked the woman to give him something to drink, he wasn't saying, let me show you something. He was saying, I'm thirsty, lady. Get me something to drink. I mean, I've just traveled. He, he sent his disciples into the city to get him food. And he sits down at this well and says, give me some water. Draw me some water. I'm thirsty. I've been traveling. I don't want to take another step. I don't want to pull that thing up out of there. I got my disciples going and getting me food. I'm tired. He's, he's tired. Why? Because he's 100% man. And he had a will. But you know what Jesus did? He laid down his will, made himself equal with God, saying, I have his initiatives, I have his purposes, I have his prerogatives. I'm doing what he wants me to do. Which is what Adam and Eve were required to do in the garden. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, where would they be? Right here. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, they wouldn't be in heaven. Death didn't come in until man gave it up, gave up the authority and gave up their position. Okay? So Matthew chapter 25. We need to learn this thing about stewardship because everything that we have is a resource, which means there is a source because that word re means again or to go back to. So everything you have, let me just go ahead and put it out there. Let's go ahead and name some resources. You have homes. You have vehicles. You have finance. You have a job. You have a gift. You have a, a title or a relationship. Here's one that we look we overlook all the time. One of the greatest, probably the greatest resource that we have is time. Now, these resources are meant to be used how God wants you to use them. That is what it means to have 
the mind of Christ. That is what it means to have his initiatives first. So, my vehicle, I do with it what God wants me to do with it. Now, I've made the statement before that our lives are choice-driven. They're, they're, every every dis, this decision that we make can create our tomorrow. Okay? And there are choices that God wants to be a part of. And there are some choices that just come as common sense. If I'm sitting at a red light and it turns green, I don't need to pray and say, God, this is your car. Do you want me to go through this green light? Or do you want me to stay here in park? You let me know. I don't need to wake up in the morning, the clothes that he's given me, and say, God, what do you want me to wear today? What cereal? Should I have Cocoa Puffs or Cinnamon Toast Crunch? I like Andrew's idea. I'd mix them up and do both. I have never thought about that. I have that at my house right now. I think I will try that. That sounds delicious. Throw the Lucky Charms in there too. Anyone seen Elf? Anyone seen that spaghetti he made with syrup? We'll we'll do something like that with Skittles and Pop-Tarts. All right, we're getting on. There are decisions in our life. Our lives are choice-driven. There are decisions that God wants to be a part of. The Word says, acknowledge, acknowledge the Lord, acknowledge God in all your ways, and He will direct your paths. The Word says that our steps are ordained of the Lord. God wants to be a part of your daily life. And He has given you things to be a part and to be an influence and effective for His kingdom. I'm going to tell you right now, he's giving you relationships with people that need to be influenced for the kingdom. He's giving you vehicles. He's giving you... That means if someone needs a ride to church, you've got the vehicle to give give them a ride to church. If someone needs a place to stay, you've got the house to put them in. If someone needs a finance, you've got the money to give it to them. And see, this this the whole thing is we're, we're seeking after all these things for ourselves. We're seeking after what to eat and what to drink and what to wear. And we have to put the kingdom first. That's what it means to be kingdom-minded, is that God is now a priority, and everybody I have an opportunity to influence based upon the resources that are in my life. Time is a resource. You know what? Time is a lot like money. Time is a lot like money. You can spend it. You can waste it. You can lose it. You can save it. Come on. God will give you ideas of ways to save your time. But you know that time is the number one thing the enemy is after? In fact, time was the currency before money came. That's what God gave to man as a currency. And your life was determined by how you spent your time, how you used your time. Just like money, you can invest your time and get more time back. 
Well, if I spend 15 minutes here, because God's word says that you can redeem the time, which means, God, I know that I'm in a rush and my day is clogged up. I'm going to spend 30 minutes in prayer with you. I'm going to give you 30 minutes, and you'll find that time open up somewhere else. You'll find it. Well, all of a sudden I had time. Or he'll save you time on something else that you thought was going to take you a lot of time. Time is a resource. These are things that were given to us. And here's what we have to understand about the kingdom. Everything was given to you, and we are held accountable for how we use it. Period. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 25. We've probably heard this parable before, starting with verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven, there it is, Jesus showing you the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, according to his own ability. So according to their maturity, according to their ability to handle what was given them, he's handing out the talents. This is what they're held accountable for. Okay? So real quick, let's point out, God is the man. And he is in his country in heaven. And he has left his servants, man, talents. Five, two, and one. According to our ability. God knows how much you can handle. And he's not going to put on you more than you can handle. But he also knows how much uh, your level of maturity can handle. So I'm going to tell you right now, if we can't, if we're not good with a hundred bucks, we're probably not going to do real well with a thousand. So let's get good with the hundred. In fact, at the end of this verse, uh, the master says that if you were faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. I'll tell you right now, it, it's, it is no small thing starting out on the bottom. Because there is no bottom in the kingdom. It's just proving ground. It's just testing you. What can you handle? He who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Thank God he didn't give him five. See? Level of maturity. He started him out small. What if he had said, you want five? Let's get, I'll give you five. And five sits in the ground. After a long time, the Lord, we're going to talk about it, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. God's coming back to settle some accounts. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents. Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. The Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid 
and went and hid your town in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. His Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I would reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not gathered, where I have not scat, uh, scattered seed. You, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. Look, he's looking for a return on what he's giving you. Even if you just stuck it in the bank, he would have gotten something back. Man, he's looking for a return. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. You see, he just gave it to the guy that had the most. America, that, that's not real popular in America. The guy that already has, give him more. <laughs> the guy who barely has anything, take it away from him. That's not popular in America. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the unprofitable servant, making no profit, making no interest, bringing back no gain off of what I gave him. Cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God is looking back for a coming back for a return on what he has placed in our lives, what he has given us stewardship over, meaning it belongs to him. What are you going to do with it for the kingdom? We take our talents. We take our influence. We take our jobs. We take our money. We take our things. And we use those to help us get ahead in life. And God is saying, I have placed resources within you. I have asked you to seek first my kingdom. And I have given you resources to do that and to advance my kingdom. Now go and make influence with what I have given you. And he will come back for a return. This is our kingdom responsibility. This is the responsibility of mankind. This is where our mindset has to change. And I said that this is your, your daily routine will now change. Right now. Today. What you do with your time. What you do when you get up in the morning. The people that you talk to. The conversations you have. God has given you a talent. He's given you people that you talk to. Will you put it in the ground? Dig a hole? put it in the ground, and just listen to them talk about all their problems? Or will you take that talent and say, I see your problem, but let me show you the answer, and let me show you the way, and make another two talents out of it? This is what God is showing us in this passage. He's given us stewardship. That means it belongs to someone else. His time is God's time. Your time is God's time. What will you do with it? Your vehicle belongs to him. If he tells you to give it away, you give it away. And we're going to go more in depth with this and understand how a kingdom actually works and how a king, being a lord, 
calls the shots and controls every resource. You know, in a kingdom, the king owns everything, which means the people own nothing. They don't own the water. They don't own their homes. But when you work for a, or when you live in a kingdom where a king has your best interests at heart, again, you seek first his kingdom. The king has every right to take from you and give to someone else. But you know what he has the responsibility to do? If you're seeking the kingdom, he has a responsibility to replace that. I've seen people give away cars. I've seen people open up their homes. I mean, someone did for us for the last 10 months. So we could make this transition easier and not have to be stuck to a rent or a mortgage payment. So we were living with someone else in their own home for nothing. The last 10 months, we have not paid rent. We have not paid water. We have not paid electric because someone sought the kingdom with their home. You know what's getting ready to come to them? The one that had five, and they went, and they traded, and they bartered, and they were profitable with the resource that God gave them. I mean, that couple is getting ready to see something huge if they haven't already. 